You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Today's scripture reading is from John 7, 53 and through chapter 8, 11. They went into his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such woman. So what do you say? This they said to him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left, alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Amen. Thank you, Ella. Well, this is another of our encounter series. Uh, Jesus is encountering this woman. This woman is encountering Jesus. There are Pharisees involved in this story. Um, this, is quite, uh, this is quite an intense story, quite an intense encounter we have here. Um, and I just want to sort of bring out some pieces here uh, at the beginning uh, and talk to you for just a minute about the backdrop of this story. Um, we have to be aware of some things here, and I think one of the things that, that or at least one of the things I want you to be aware of here is that Jesus is here. He is a male. Um, he is obviously in his capacity as the Savior. He's responding to this situation here of this woman. She is in danger of being stoned to death uh, by other males, um, and to top that off on religious grounds, all right? So let's be attentive today to the fact that The person who stands accused is a woman, and that Jesus and her accusers are all men. Men of Life Church, let me help you understand something here today. You will never, never, ever understand the magnitude of trauma that this woman is experiencing in this encounter. You cannot, all right? You you cannot put yourself in her place and say, I get it, because you and I don't, and we never will. We we will understand from Christ's perspective, but you and I cannot put ourselves in this woman's place and begin to understand the kind of trauma that this woman has gone through. Now, yet, men of Life Church. There can be and there should be some very rich and powerful application for you as you walk through this encounter today. Uh, There's a a lot for us, all of us, to gain here, all right? Ladies of Life Church, I'm well aware of my own limitations here and how many times I have 
misstepped with you as, as God's women in this congregation. And um, I, I'm very mindful that, that I can very easily misstep here today as I preach this message to you. Um, and David and I are very mindful that we have misstepped with a number of you in the past over the years. Uh, and I just want to say to you, ladies of Life Church, thank you uh, for your grace to us, for, for your patience with us, uh, for your willingness to continue to walk, walk along beside us as we pastor you and, and do it in, in the best ways that, that we know how. Um, but I want you and I to understand today that there is never a place in the kingdom of God where it is acceptable for a woman to lose worth and value, and especially not in the name of religion. There is never a place where men can walk in some level of authority and use that authority to any way to diminish a woman's worth or value or to, to use her in some type of way for their own gratification. These things are never, ever acceptable in any place, in any system, not even the highest systems of our own government. It is not acceptable, and never will it be acceptable for us to do that, all right? And so this woman has been put in a very, very traumatic kind of situation here. And let's just look at this a little bit, this encounter in John's Gospel. And, and as we do, we, we want to be very mindful of the fact that, that this person who stands here accused is indeed a woman that Jesus and her accusers are all men, as I said earlier. And, and as we look at this closely, we have to note that, that this woman is, in, in effect, a non-person here in this particular story, all right? She, she has no name. She's identified only by the, the charge that is brought against her. And, and folks, that alone kind of reduces her to this sort of unacceptable sexual object that's being used to, to, in the play here, all right? She's also treated very much as, as a, a helpless sort of object, uh, and worst of all, in some kind of religious debate here between these Pharisees and, and the Lord. And so she's forced to be in this sort of public spectacle kind of thing going on here. She's around all of these people. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. And, and she's being used as bait to try and trap Jesus. And so I want you to be very sensitive to the place that this woman is here in this story. And, and I think we have a lot, especially you and I as men, to learn from this story. Uh, and, and there's a lot that we can all apply here. So, so let, let's, let's look a little closer here. Um, now, I'll say this. In, in other places in the Gospel of John, John does use nameless characters, all right? He does this in a way so that, I believe, so that there can be sort of a collective or, or group identity of a situation or a circumstance. And John does this very well, all right? And that means that, that all of us can look at the story and in some way we can get in there and we can make application, we can apply it to our lives without robbing this woman of the particularity of her situation and her circumstance. And I believe that this story has some wonderful things to speak to us if we will continue the conversation going from this message today in Life Church and outside of Life Church. This has been a, a tumultuous year and a half in America uh, that, we have, that we have seen a lot of things happening and a lot of 
convictions and uh, thoughts and beliefs inside and outside of the church uh, getting hit hard and, and really getting kind of sifted through various uh, grids, if you will. And so we have a responsibility as God's people and as the church to affect culture. And, and that, is, that is something that God would intend you and I to do. We, we need to be able to talk. We need to be able to converse. We need to be able to dialogue. And hopefully uh, encounters like this and looking at them like we are going to look at it today will help us to do that. And I, I, I by no means think that I'm going to give you the, the whole of this encounter today. Uh, I hope that I can start some conversations today. I hope that we will be able to have dialogues beyond this message today. And you and I will be able to, to not only talk with one another, but also we'll be able to talk with others uh, as well. All right? So, men, I think that there's something here for you today in this uh, encounter, and I hope that you will let the Holy Spirit speak to your hearts uh, and, and, and deal with you and let you make that application as we go forward. Uh, ladies, I, I pray that, that I, I do justice to this passage for you um, and that today you too can find healing and grace um, in our Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's, let's just look at this. I, I have... Uh, I, I have. I read a blog by one pastor. I really enjoy uh, reading her blogs. And uh, she uh, shared uh, some time ago in one of her blogs how that she, uh, she looks at the various stories in the Bible and she looks for what she calls the aha moment. You know, it's like, aha. There it is, you know, and, uh, and so she's always looking for this. She, she, you know, her, her, her comment was, I always approach the word of God that there is something in there to lighten me up, to, to just give me revelation, to give me understanding. And when I find that, it's like that's my aha, there it is kind of thing, you know. Um, and, and she said that, you know, it, it's not like her to be so precise and, and, and so uh, direct with her words and so intentional with her words. She's a wordy person. I relate to her on, on that basis. I, I like a lot of words, and I say things over, and I repeat them over. And I know some of you sometimes in the sermons are going, okay, Pastor Bill, that's enough. Get on with it. You know? uh, but I am. I, I like words. But, but uh, what she was saying was, Jesus is a wordsmith, and, and he's very intentional about what he says. He's also very intentional about how he says it. He's also very intentional in the way in which he is saying things. And that we need to look at that because everything spoken by the Lord, everything written down that has been spoken by the Lord has a tremendous amount of purpose. And I know there are some scholars who... Uh, don't agree that this passage should be in the Bible where it is because it's not in the earliest man manuscripts, but it's there, and I don't want to ignore it. I want us to talk about it, and I want us to, to, to work through it today, all right? So with that, let's go in there a little bit, and let's just try to, to, to parse this out just a little bit. Let's look back just a little bit, okay? Um, well, let's, look, let's go way back. Let's go back to Eve. Eve obviously was created by God, and she uh, was in the garden, um, Eve was naked before the Lord. Uh, there was innocence in that uh, nakedness. Uh, there was not yet any 
guilt or any shame or any condemnation. She had this relationship with the Lord. Um, and, and so before the fall, uh, it was a very comfortable place for her, and, and she enjoyed a relationship with the Lord, and the Lord enjoyed a relationship with her. Um, let's look at Sarah for just a second. Sarah was this woman who had a lot of thoughts in her mind, but those thoughts got exposed over time. And it became very obvious to her that, that there was a sense of nakedness before the Lord um, and that he knew her very thoughts, all right? And uh, she was before him and he was, she was open and he knew and understood what she was saying and what she was thinking. And I think we have to explore the fact that that is the way we are all before the Lord. The Lord knows us. The Lord knows our thoughts. He knows our makeup. He knows our emotional uh, composition. He knows how we feel. He knows how we interpret things. He knows how we think. And so whether we are before the Lord naked in our skin or naked in our sin or naked in our thoughts uh, and emotions, above all, the reality here is that you and I, no one can hide from God. And God will expose sin. And I really don't think that this story is about God exposing this woman. I think this story really is about God exposing these religious men and where they were and what they were doing and how their hearts were operating inside the context of the temple life and beyond. And I think there's a point where you and I have to be able to trust God that he can expose us. And that in that, there is this place where we can go and, and we can find love and grace and mercy and we are not shamed and we're not condemned by God. This woman is caught in adultery. Um, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. It's in the time uh, of Jesus when every good Jewish man and every good Jewish woman would go to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. Now, this feast commemorates the time that uh, the Jewish ancestors had lived in tents and they wandered about in the wilderness and in the desert. Agriculturally, this, this is called Sukkot, all right? Uh, it's a harvest festival. Um, sometimes it's referred to as the festival of ingathering. It's bringing in the crops and celebrating the harvest, so to speak, if you will. So understand that when this event happens, this is not an average day with a low census of attendance in the temple area. This place is packed out. There are people from all over who are here uh, in the midst of the, the temple courts, if you will, and they are there for this particular feast. Now, just before the, the Feast of Tabernacles actually happens here, this is before Jesus is crucified, Jesus is in Judea, he's kind of laying low here, all right? he's not like out doing a lot and being really public here, there are a lot of people that are already wishing him dead, uh, a number of the Pharisees and the Sadducees are, are, are after him, and so when Sukkot happens here, when it rolls around uh, and, and it's, it's starting to unfold, he returns to Jerusalem. He actually goes back, if you will, to the temple, and he's inside the temple area somewhere, and it says that he is 
teaching or talking to a large number of people, all right? So he's probably very much on the outer courts of the temple where men and women could come. A lot of people could, could gather around there. And he is there teaching, all right? So he's kind of in the shadows. He's not making a lot of fuss here. He's trying, it would appear, to not cause a lot of problems, not to create disturbance here. But in this situation, somewhere in the midst of it, in the celebration, he goes into the temple area and he starts to teach these people. And when he does, these people are very impressed with his teaching, um, but it, it creates problems. Uh, the, 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 the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, all of these people are upset. And so they decide to trick him. They decide that they're going to do something to try and catch him, if you will. And so somehow, I, I don't know how, but these particular, this particular group of men seem to know that there is a particular woman who was at that very time um, committing an act of adultery. Uh, the scripture reads it this way. They made her stand before the group. They, they, they bring her in and they make her stand before the group of people that Jesus is talking to. And they say to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In other words, it's not someone who there's a, there's a reputation out there, there's some gossip uh, kind of stuff. And so based on what we've heard, we're going to bring her in and put her in front of you. They're saying basically we have snatched her up out of the very act of adultery, of sexual sin, and we have brought her in here to you, all right? Now, they begin to pose these questions to Jesus, but it was a trick. The, the whole thing was, was a, a, a made-up sort of thing, if you will. Um, you see, in the days of Jesus, a Jew had no real say in the corporal punishment of such a crime. It wasn't for the Jews to, to decide. That was Rome's job. So if Jesus said, stone her, then he would be sort of like putting his nose in the business of Rome, and that certainly would not be good for him. But if Jesus had said not to stone her, then it would seem as though he was just fragrantly disregarding the law. And so then these men could come against him and, and confront him on, on that, that fact, all right? Um, now, this is all happening besides the fact that this is this woman that has been drugged in here alone. Now, I think we're mostly adults in here. Um, you know that adultery doesn't happen alone. Okay? Where is this man? Who is this man? What, why does he not get drugged in with this woman? Why, why is he not suffering this same kind of shame and this same kind of finger-pointing and, and a, accusatory spirit that this woman is facing. And so here she is. She is all alone here. But Jesus doesn't buy the scheme, all right? He, he sees through all of this, all right? You see, the law required that both parties be there, and the law required that both parties would be stoned, and so th th this is an obvious trip up. This is an obvious uh, plan of attack, if you will, a trap to get Jesus here at this point. And he just doesn't buy into the scheme. He, he wasn't going to play this sort of like Bible tug of war with these guys. He's, he's, not, he's not going to get into this. 
he is, he is there, and here stands this woman who probably doesn't have a lot of clothing on and is trying to, to in some way find her modesty here in the midst of all these people in this very public spectacle, if you will. I would imagine that she is face down. She is, is shamed. Uh, she very likely scarcely clothed. Uh, surrounded by all of these men in particular and maybe some women who had to be silent as well because of the culture, all right? Uh, none of them could gather around her and, and cover her and support her in, in any kind of way. She was alone. Folks, please understand, this woman was about to die and she knew it. This was, for her, this was the end. She had no voice she had no advocate. She had no one in her defense here. And she is, is being humiliated publicly in front of all of these people. This is the busiest time. Do you see how they set it up? You see what they're doing here in their, their, their intent to trap Jesus? And this woman becomes this pawn, if you will, for all of this. But he doesn't have it, and it's, the Bible says that he, he bows down. Some translations say he stooped down, all right? And, and he began to write with his finger on the ground. And eventually, he stands up and he says to the woman, uh, you know, who are your accusers? Well, something has happened very dramatically from that point when she is brought to him, and he says, where are your accusers? And I think that's the, the climactic part of this whole story, if you will. All right. He looks at these men who brought her in and asks this question, this, this, this very debatable question, this, this, this question to trap him. And he says to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw the stone. And that's when he stoops over and he writes on the ground. Now, at this point, it's speculation on my part, as it would be on the part of any other person. What did he write? You know, what, what were those words that were written in the sand, if you will? And we don't know, but I'm going to imagine for you, I'm going to imagine that very possibly he could have written a number of sins, in that sand. Not hers. Theirs. You see, when God wrote the original law, he wrote it with his finger on stone. And Jesus is the great legislator. He is the one who comes as a mediator on our behalf. And so he stands before this woman, and I believe Jesus sees her as she truly is. I know he does. And in seeing her, then, he, he rises and he speaks to these men. And he says to them, whichever one of you is without sin, you cast the first stone. See, he's saying, okay, stoner, this is what you say, this is what you found, stoner. But only do it if you have no sin. And the Bible says that one by one, beginning with the older ones, perhaps they were wiser, I don't know, but they began to drop their stones. 
And as they did, they walked away until there weren't any left. And so standing there draped in all of their religious finery and, 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 and standing before him, he literally brought them down as he stood between them and a woman who was draped in only the, the, the minimum modesty possible for her in that situation. So what would be like the aha of this whole thing, you know? See, when, when, when God wrote the law on the tablets for Moses to bring to the people, he, he wrote them with his finger. And, and Jesus is our teacher, all right? And they're trying to use that very law that the Father wrote for Moses against Jesus the son of God, the teacher, the author of the law, if you will. And so he kneels down, and I think in some way, in some manner, writes the same way as the father did. And I think that's important for you and I to understand that this Jesus has come so that the, the, the price of sin will not have to be paid by you in the court of heaven. You will not be judged by the law, but you are freed through the blood of Jesus Christ. I think there's another aha moment to this, too. If this woman was caught in the very act of adultery, she, she was probably, in my opinion, most likely very scarcely clothed. Maybe they allowed her to, to grab a, a garment, you know, to, to put over her. Either way, I cannot imagine for the life of me, that Jesus would, would let her remain that way for very long. And we see him as he stands. And I, I truly, maybe he took off a garment and helped her. I don't know. But I, I, I do see him here. And I want you to see this very clearly, that he stands between her and the accusers. He stands between their, their eyes of judgment. He stands between her and their scorn. He stands in that place. He is the mediator, if you will. He is the one who comes in and he stops that evil, that condemnation, that shame, and that guilt that is being put upon this woman. And he then stands up and becomes her gallant savior, her Lord. And so she no longer has to hide from this crowd. Let, 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 let's play this out for just a minute. Bear, bear with me for just a minute. Let's picture this woman who is standing here in this place. She has been drugged in to this court area. And she stands here in some level of modesty, trying to cover herself in some way, having been exposed to everybody there. All eyes are on her. All eyes are looking at her. And she's been brought in because this Jesus is standing here in this court area, and he is teaching life and truth. And standing off to the side are those who were her accusers, those Pharisees, if you will. And they had found their way somewhere by some stones that they could throw. 
I want you to get a picture of this. These, these men were not picking up pebbles that skip across water. They had stones in their hands, ready to throw them, clenching them, wanting very much to see this woman die, but very much wanting to trap Jesus as well. And so this woman is a victim, and she is there in her shame before the Lord. Now listen to what it says. Let's read this again. They went each to his own house, all the people, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came to the temple, to this court area. All the people, it says, came to him and sat down, and he taught them. So there was a great number of people. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they brought in this woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst of everyone, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, it commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? It says that they said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And then notice what it says. And Jesus bent down. Jesus stooped down. And he wrote with his fingers on the ground. And they continued. They didn't let go. They didn't, they didn't stop here. They continued. And they're asking him questions. And so it says that in that moment, now get this, here is this woman who has no dignity. She is filled with shame. She's been brought in here and exposed in this way. But Jesus does not stand above her. He stoops down beneath her and he writes on the sand. But those who are Pharisees are relentless and they continue. They want her stoned. They want him caught or tripped up or trapped in some way. But then it says, he stood up. And he turned and said to them, look, look at this. He stands between that onslaught and this helplessness. This is our Jesus. This is our Savior. This is the one who has come on our behalf. And it says, he stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And then once more he turned and bent down and he wrote on the ground. Notice each time he turns towards to face this woman, he stoops, he bows low. But when they heard it, they went away. They just dropped their stones and they went away. Beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman. She was standing before him. And then it says, Jesus stood up. And he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one. Lord. That word, Lord, is Messiah. No one one who saved me, no one condemns me. You see, this is a message for the hope of every believer to never live in condemnation and guilt and shame. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. 
go and sin no more. Thank you so much, both of you, and Pharisees as well. <laughs> I just wanted to play it out for you to kind of understand and see here exactly what was going on. This is an, I, I, I don't think just the words are important that Jesus says here, but I think the way he handled himself and the way he moved and positioned himself throughout this is absolutely, absolutely powerful. Do you ever wonder why he, he, would, he would do it that way? I don't, I don't know exactly what all of it is about, but I know that there is something powerful about being willing to kneel before someone else and honor them. That is, that is an act of honor, to kneel, to bow before someone. If you go to England and you stand before the queen, they're going to expect you to bow. You go to the Netherlands or some country where there's a king, they're going to expect you to bow. Even in America, we have a tendency when we are in front of political leaders or great people or stars, we have a tendency to somehow, we just want to, we want to some way bow to them. We want to some way acknowledge that we recognize your greatness. And in this passage, it says that Jesus stoops before her. And when he does, she calls him Lord. And he says, you go and leave your life of sin. She became understood rather than condemned. She became saved rather than stoned. Sin was exposed, yet covered in his love. This is our Jesus. This is the Jesus that... I want very much for you to encounter. I have just a few more minutes. I, I want to read an excerpt from a writer. Um, and and just, just, will you just listen? This is going to rehearse what I've just said to you, but with a little bit more imagination. Um, and, and I think you can, can get some, some good picture here. Um, and then I want to bring it home for all of us. This is the start of the story. The voices yanked her out of bed. Get up, you harlot. What kind of woman do you think you are? Priest slammed open the bedroom door, threw back the curtains, pulled off the covers. Before she felt the warmth of the morning sun, she felt the heat of their scorn. Shame on you. Pathetic. Disgusting. She scarcely had time to cover her body before they marched her through the narrow streets. Dogs yelped. Roosters ran. Women leaned out their windows. Mothers snatched children off the path. Merchants peered out of doors in their shops. Jerusalem became a jury and rendered its verdict with glares and crossed arms. And as if the bedroom raid and parade of shame were inadequate, the men thrust her into the middle of a morning Bible class. Early the next morning, Jesus was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought this woman they had caught in this act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? 
stunned students stood on the one side of her, pious plaintiffs on the other. They had their questions and convictions. She had her dangling cloth and smeared lipstick. This woman was caught in the very act of adultery, her accusers crowed. Caught in the very act, in the moment, in the arms, in the passion. Caught in the very act by the Jerusalem Council on Decency and Conduct. The law of Moses says to Stoner, what do you say? The woman had no exit. Deny the accusation? She had been caught. Plead for mercy? From whom? From God? His spokesmen were squeezing stones and snarling their lips. No one would speak for her. But someone would stoop for her. Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust. We would expect him to stand up, step forward, or even ascend to a stair and speak. But instead, he leaned over. He descended lower than anyone else, beneath the priest, the people, even beneath the woman. The accusers looked down on her. To see Jesus, they had to look down even further. He's prone to stoop. He stooped to wash feet, to embrace children, stooped to pull Peter out of the sea, to pray in the garden. He stooped before the Roman whipping post, stooped to carry the cross. Grace is a God who stoops. Here he stooped to write in the sand. Remember, the first occasion his fingers touched dirt, he scooped soil and formed Adam. As he touched the sun-baked soil beside the woman, Jesus may have been reliving the creation moment, reminding himself of whence he came. Earthly humans are prone to do earthly things. Maybe Jesus wrote in the soil for his own benefit or for hers. To divert gaping eyes from the scantily clad, just-caught woman who stood in the center of the circle, the posse grew. They grew impatient with the silent, stooping Jesus. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up. He lifted himself erect until his shoulders were straight and his head was high. He stood not to preach, for his words would be few. Not for long, for he would soon stoop again. Not to instruct his followers, he didn't address them. He stood on behalf of the woman. He placed himself between her and the lynch mob. And he said, all right, stoner, but let those who have never sinned throw the first stones. And then he stooped down again, and he wrote in the dust. Name callers shut their mouths. Rocks fell on the ground. Jesus resumed his scribbling. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Jesus wasn't finished. He stood one final time and he asked the woman, where are your accusers? My, 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 what a question. Not just for her, but for us. Voices of condemnation awaken us as well. You aren't good enough. You'll never improve. You failed again. 
the voices in our world and the voices in our head. Who is this morality patrolman who issues a citation at every stumble, who reminds us of every mistake? Does he ever shut up? No, because Satan never shuts up. The Apostle John called him the accuser, the great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth with the angels. And then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, the word says, for the accuser has been thrown down to the earth, the one who accused our brothers and sisters before our God day and night. Day after day, hour after hour, relentless, tireless, the accuser makes a career out of accusing. Unlike the conviction of the Holy Spirit, Satan's condemnation brings no repentance, no resolve, just regret. He has one aim, to steal and to kill and to destroy. He'll steal your peace. He'll kill your dreams. He'll destroy your future. And he has a horde of silver-tongued demons to help him do it. Let this sink in for a moment. You are born again through Christ alone. As we said last week, no works of your own. See, this woman couldn't have turned it all around and done a lot of good stuff to get there. And look at the beauty of the story. She didn't have to. She didn't have to because this Jesus stooped for her just like he stooped for you. And here's the thing. I want you to understand, he didn't just stoop for her. He stooped for the whole world, all of you sitting here today. And he not only stooped, as I read earlier, but he stooped into a grave. And there, in that grave, having stooped, my Jesus, your Jesus, stood shoulders high and walked out of that grave, fully God, resurrected, fully alive, for you and I, so that we never have to battle guilt and shame and condemnation again. This woman walked from that garden or that courtyard or wherever she was, fully redeemed, cleansed, made whole, because this Jesus stooped and then he stood for her. Amen. Amen. So this morning, Pastor Bill read and then portrayed for us a, a picture of why Jesus came, why, why we needed Jesus to come. There's so much sin, so much division, so many people bound in just this short story today. And yet here we see our God who who bound himself to us, who loves us so much that he looked on that woman Yes. he looked on that woman and he loved her and his heart hurt 
our God. He hurts. Amen. He hurts. He hurts for the way that our world is broken, for the way our hearts are broken, for the way our relationships with one another are broken, and our relationship with him is so, so broken. And that's why he, he came. He said, I'll take on that hurt. I'll come for you because I love you and because I can do this. Because I have the power. I know you don't. But he's our strength and our weakness. He is our, our savior. He's our comforter. And so our God came as Jesus. He came to earth. He became man and he, he completely humbled himself, completely became one of us so that we could be made whole in him so that we could have freedom in him so that there isn't this condemnation so that there isn't this separation of us from one another there aren't people in the house of God seeking to to kill seeking to create further division but now there can be life there can be relationship there can be connection and abundance with our God with one another because Jesus died on the cross and he took all that sin he took all of our ways of, of attacking one another, all of our ways of, of even attacking ourselves. And he's, he's given us a new way. He's given us the way that we can go and we can sin no more in the power of his Holy Spirit because Jesus rose from the dead. He died on the cross and he rose from the dead and he's ascended into heaven. And our good news is that Jesus is coming back and that this renewal, this is coming into completion that there would no longer be condemnation in this world. For he has come and he's coming back. And so that's our hope today. So I'm going to pray. We're going to have the prayer team come forward. Uh, if you need to receive prayer this morning for anything that's on your heart, um, just, just come on up. And if this is, this is good news for you this morning, that, that Jesus, is, Jesus is the one who's, who's made a new way for you, um, Please come forward and receive prayer and, and just talk with the people up here. So please pray with me now. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you because you are the one who delights in us, the one who became man and, and knows our suffering, who knows our pain and our hurt. We thank you that even in the times where we don't know who to cry out to, you're there, and you ask us to call upon you, and you, you, you're faithful to your promise. So I pray this morning over all who are here that we would, we would have hearts that are softened, that are nurtured, that know the delight, that know the care, that know the deep love of our God for us, as seen in you, Jesus, over and over again, that we would know how high and how deep how wide and how long that love is as we come to know you more and more for the rest of our lives and for eternity as you return, Jesus, and make all, thing new, all things new. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.